0: And it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. We welcome you to this morning's broadcast. We are so glad you could join us. Today, we will see from Romans chapter 1, verses 9 through 10, that intercessory prayer is a proof of genuinely caring for another Christian brother or sister. And now, with his message for today, Pastor Robert Elliott.
1: You see, apparently Paul, in all of his response to God's leading as the apostle to the Gentiles, and all of his church planting around the Mediterranean basin, he made it his business to know about a local church he'd never visited, to know and care for believers he had never shook hands with or embraced. You could do the same. After this service is closed, you could walk up to someone that you don't know and you could shake their hand and tell them you're glad they're here tonight and ask them if there's a way you could pray for them this week. Then be sure to pray. You could go up to a person that you think you barely know and you could shake their hand with a smile on their face and you could ask, how long have you been coming to Calvary Bible Church? They may say, this is my first time Or they may say, I've been coming here for 10 years. Then you say, I'm sure I didn't get to meet you after 10 years, but I'm glad I'm meeting you tonight. How can I pray for you? How does the pastor know the people of the flock by name? The same as any believer does. By caring enough to work at names. By caring enough to regularly pray. For people in the congregation by name. Paul could write to a church which he had never personally visited. Your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. Paul had heard about them. Paul had made it his business to hear about them. That is proven Christian caring. And so the first proof of Paul's caring in them. His caring interest in the church at Rome was that Paul had heard of their good testimony through Jesus and to Jesus through the then known world. The second proof of Paul's caring interest in the Roman Christians was this. Paul could point to his ongoing intercessory prayer for them. Paul proved he was interested in them, although he had never met them, because he could point to the actuality of his ongoing intercessory prayer for them although we never met them. Verses 9 and 10, please. For God, whom I serve in my spirit, in the preaching of the gospel of his Son as my witness, as to how unceasingly I make mention to you, always make mention, excuse me, of you, always in my prayers, making request, if perhaps now at last by the will of God I may succeed in coming to you. Paul went as high as a witness as you can go in the created universe. Paul went as high as God as witness that he was actually interceding for the believers in Rome in prayer. Verse 9 again. For God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you always in my prayers. Now, there are two little but huge words in these two verses, 9 and 10. The first little but huge word is unceasingly. And the second little but huge word is in verse 10, it's always. Unceasingly and always are huge words. And Paul used them in verse 9 and 10. For God whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his Son is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you always in my prayers making request if perhaps now at last by the will of God I may succeed in coming to you. Paul prayed for these Roman Christians whom he had never met unceasingly. And when he did so, he always prayed that the Lord would allow him the privilege of going to Rome to meet them for the first time. You know, when a person can truthfully say, I unceasingly pray for you, then their caring interest in you is unquestionably proven. There is no argument. There is no wonderment. There is no kidding. It's slam dunk proven. If a person can look you in the eye and say, I unceasingly pray for you. Now, I may be underestimating this, but if you ask me, Pastor Rob, who do you think unceasingly prays for you? It'd be a short list. My wife, my father and my mother, and my father-in-law. And maybe that's not unusual that the people I know that unceasingly pray for me is a short list, but I'm grateful for each of them. And who better to unceasingly pray for you than your Christian nuclear family members? And if, on the other side of the coin, if you will not always unceasingly pray for your nuclear family members, then who will? Prayer makes a difference. The study was done of the Edwards and the Jukes families. He entered Yale College at age 13 and graduated with honors. He became a pastor, and his sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, started the Great Awakening, a revival that swept America, uniting the country prior to the revolution. He became president of Princeton College, and his name was Jonathan Edwards. He was born October 5, 1703. Jonathan Edwards married Sarah Pierrepont. And according to a study in Education and Heredity by A.E. Winship of 1900, their descendants included one U.S. vice president, three U.S. senators, three governors, three mayors, 13 college presidents, 30 judges, 65 college professors, 80 public office holders, 100 lawyers, and 100 missionaries. The same study examined a different family that was known as the Jukes, not the actual name, but to preserve their anonymity, they called them the Jukes family, but it's a real family. In 1877, while visiting New York's prisons, Richard Dugdale found inmates with different last names that all turned out to be descendants from one man who Dugdale called Max Jukes. Again, not his real name. Born around 1720, Max was a hard drinker, idle, irreverent, and uneducated. He pulled away from civilization and lived in the rugged countryside of upstate New York. He preferred having no one to tell him what was right or wrong. Max Jukes' descendants included 310 paupers, who combined spent 2,300 years in poor houses, 50 women of debauchery, 40 physically racked by indulgent living, seven murderers, 60 thieves, and 130 other convicts. The Jukes' descendants cost the state of New York more than $1.25 million. And friends, that Those were 18th and 19th century dollars, $1.25 million. Church family, one of the best ways that you can care for your nuclear families, one of the best ways you can care for your church family, and one of the best ways you can pray for your Bahamian national family is to realize that the power of consistent prayer and caring will turn things around. Of all the problems which the Bahamas currently faces, none is as important a problem as turning the reprobate to the regenerate, of making regenerates out of rebels. And only God and his grace wrapped up in the gospel we preached about this morning, unleashed by prayer, one person at a time can turn things around. If you do not pray for your nuclear family, who will? Now I circle back to ask the question, who do you think unceasingly prays for you? Blessed is the person who has an answer to that question. And here's another related question, the flip side perhaps. For whom can you say, I unceasingly pray for you? These are convicting questions for the men in the pulpit as well as the people in the pew. It seems to me That I can only unceasingly pray for someone if they're consistently on my mind and on my heart.
0: Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers.
2: Good morning. This is Pastor Nicholas, another edition of Youth Talk. And today we want to continue on our series starting 2019 on change. And as we talk about change, we want to talk about prayer. Because as we know, prayer changes things. And when we consider prayer, like I said last time, we sometimes look at prayer as almost God is a genie, that we want to tell Him our problems, and He's supposed to answer every problem, and He's supposed to do it right away. But as we know, as we go through our life, we see how God changes things in in a positive way, and it may not always be for our, as we think about it, we look at it and we say, oh, that wasn't good. But we need to understand that God is doing it for His honor and His glory. And today we want to continue on prayer. And as we looked at last week, we talked about how, um, you know, prayer equals change and how we need to understand that everything about prayer is about God, not about us. And we looked at how the Holy Spirit helps us to pray. And today we want to look at how we pray and how Jesus prays for us. As we consider how we pray in in John chapter 5 verse 19, it says this, Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, the Son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son likewise does these things. Again, as we consider this, this, is, this may not be something that we talk about prayer and say, oh, this is, this is you know, clearly on prayer, but as we consider truly I tell you, the Son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son likewise does these things. Although Jesus wasn't specifically talking about prayer, he was talking about the way of living that encompasses everything we do, including the way we pray. You see, when we consider our lives as believers, as a Christian, as you consider your life in school, if we call ourselves Christian, we do everything to bring honor and glory to God. Whatever we do, we are to bring glory to God. I think sometimes, even as you consider as a student, I think sometimes we, we get stuck in this mode of, you know, He's just God on Sundays or God when they come to youth group. But He's the same God all the time. And He's there with us. He's, he's always there with us. But what strikes me sometimes is we want to call on God when we have a struggle. We want to call on God when we have that big test. And we want to say, God, help me pass this test. Help me to, you know, get an A on this because I want to, you know, be able to do this thing. These are the times we, we consider God during the week. But I ask this, what about on a Friday and a Saturday when we do things on our own, when we're out with our friends? Do we recognize that God is still there and our present, that we're still a representation of God? You see, Jesus' light was solely about imitating what the Father did. As followers of Jesus, you and I are called to do the same, to do what the Father shows us to do and to live the way He wants us to live. So when we learn the thoughts and desires of God the Father through the Holy Spirit, we should reflect those thoughts and desires in the way we pray. You see, but there's only one way this works. If we want to do what God says, we have to first hear what God says. Prayer works best when we listen first and speak second. You see, we need to be in tune with the Holy Spirit. We need to be in tune with God and what God has doing in our lives so that we can know how to pray. You see, I think sometimes we get so befuddled in prayer that we think we have to use these big words and we think that we need to, you know, because God is impressed with us using big words. But God just wanted to be honest with him. God wants him to tell us uh, his, our struggles. Because guess what? He knows them already. There's no come a surprise that we're struggling with this thing. God knows. So why do we think that we have to paint this pretty picture when we come to God? And we think that we're fooling him with our pretty words. When God truly knows the person we are. As we consider this and, and, and consider prayer... One of the most important things that we could think of prayer is that Jesus prays for us. And what an important thing to understand that he's praying for us. Because as we consider, we want people to pray for us, but who better to pray for us than Jesus? And it says this in, in, in Romans chapter 8, it says this, Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Basically, it means he prays for us. He is there for us. As I consider that, and I consider that, that promise that he is there interceding for us, is so great to think about. According to Paul, Jesus is praying for us, present tense, right now, this very second, Jesus is interceding on our behalf. When we pray, it's as though Jesus escorts us to the feet of God and helps us to present our request to him. He is there. He, he is telling God this is the request. He's interceding on our behalf. You see, I wonder if hearing that, that makes us understand how important prayer helps. I wonder if that changes our perspective on prayer. To understand that, hey, we're not just talking to the wall. We're talking to God the Father. And we're not just talking to God the Father. But here it is, Jesus himself is interceding on our behalf. What an important thing to think about. You see, I think that as we consider and we start this series, we need to understand that prayer equals change. But prayer only equals change when prayer isn't about what we need or want God to do. Prayer is about God revealing His desires to us so we can reflect these desires back to Him in prayer. You see, I think it starts here. When you pray, listen first and speak second. Instead of letting your prayers start with you, let them start with God as we recognize the greatness and awesomeness of God this is where it needs to start to proclaim how great and awesome God is. Don't start off by giving God your problems, but recognize how great and awesome he is because that's who he is. He res- He deserves all of our praise. He deserves all our recognition. He deserves all the glory. So I want to challenge you as we, again, start off, and we kick off this year. I want us to understand that change has to happen. As we are two weeks into the new year, you know, we have many, many have made the resolution and some may already quit those resolutions. But don't let this resolution change. Because we want to spend time with God. We want to talk to God. We want to know God more. And we need to understand this is something that will be changed eternity-wise. And we spend time more with God. And we, we look into His Word and we pray and we talk to Him. You see, if you've got something to talk to God about... Talk to him about it. Ask him to help you imitate him in the area and help your desires to look like his desires. You know, when we consider prayer, we need to understand how great prayer is. That we have a God that the Bible tells us is intently listening. That bends down and wants to hear from us. And I don't know about you, but as I consider my life, you know, I know I struggle with things. I know there are times in my life when I'm not doing things that are pleasing to God. But to know that I have a God that I can call on in the good times and the bad times, it helps me out. It helps me to know that someone is always there with me. So, as we again start this series off, I would challenge you to pray. We need to pray. We need to ask God for guidance. We need to ask God and recognize that prayer is all about Him. It's not about us. And as we consider that, as we look into this new year, let us put God first in all that we do. This is Pastor Nick has been edition of
0: Utah. It's time for answers to your questions. We urge you to take a moment and get a pen and paper and take down the references used so that you can do your own study later on. We here at Echoes of Calvary are always excited to receive your letters of support and your questions, which we seek to answer right away and also here on the show. You can send us your letters at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com. Today, Pastor Elliot draws from Carl Laney's excellent book, Answers to Tough Questions. This book was published back in 1997. And once again, here is Pastor Robert Elliott. Another question based on Matthew
1: 3, verse 7. This is what we read in Matthew 3, verse 7. But when he, that is John the Baptist, saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And the question is simply, who were the Pharisees and the Sadducees? The Pharisees and the Sadducees were two Jewish groups who were active in the time of Jesus. The Pharisees took matters of Jewish ceremony quite strictly and separated themselves from those who were not so diligent. Josephus, a Jewish historian, describes them as a body of Jews with the reputation of excelling the rest of their nation in the observances of religion and as exact exponents of the laws this jewish historian josephus root wrote further refer, he refers to them as the leading sect s e c t the leading sect and regards them as the most accurate interpreters of the law in terms of doctrine they believed in the sovereignty of god that is that god is in full control They believed in the eternal nature of the soul, and they believed in bodily resurrection. While the Pharisees were middle-class Jews who were associated with the synagogue, the Sadducees as a group were of the priestly aristocracy and were associated with the temple. Sadducees were the leaders with the power, money, and the influence in the time of Jesus. That Jewish historian Josephus records that while the Pharisees are affectionate to each other and cultivate harmonious relations with the community, the Sadducees, on the contrary, are rather boorish, that means they have bad manners, in their behavior and in their conversation with their peers and are as rude as to aliens. Wow. The Sadducees believed in human freedom to choose good or evil and did not believe in the persistence of the soul after death or in bodily resurrection. See Matthew 22, verse 23, the Sadducees held these views, not because they were liberal, but because they were quite conservative and accepted only those doctrines that they believed were taught by Moses in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch. Just as a little bit of humor, one way to remember the Sadducees, they didn't believe in the resurrection. That is why they were sad, you see? Ha. We want to conclude this Echoes of Calvary broadcast with a Puritan prayer. The Puritan prayer, Divine Mercies. Thou eternal God, thine is surpassing greatness, unspeakable goodness, superabundant grace. I can as soon count the sands of the ocean's lip as number thy favors toward me. I know but a part but that part exceeds all praise. I thank thee for personal mercies, a measure of health, preservation of body, comforts of house and home, sufficiency of food and clothing, continuance of mental powers, my family, their mutual help and support, the delights of domestic harmony and peace, the seats now filled that might have been vacant, my country, church, Bible, faith, but oh, how I mourn my sin, ingratitude, vileness, the days that add up to my guilt, the scenes that witness my offending tongue, all things in heaven, earth, around, within, without, condemn me, the sun which sees my misdeeds. The darkness which is light to thee. The cruel accuser who justly charges me. The good angels who have been provoked to leave me. Thy countenance which scans my secret sins. Thy righteous law. Thy holy word. My sin-soiled conscience. My private and public life. My neighbors. Myself. right, dark things against me. I deny them not. Frame no excuse, but confess, Father, I have sinned, yet still I live and fly repenting to thy outstretched arms. Thou wilt not cast me off, for Jesus brings me near. Thou wilt not condemn me, for he died in my stead. Thou wilt not mark my mountains of sin, for he leveled all, and his beauty covers my deformities. Oh my God, I bid farewell to sin by clinging to his cross, hiding in his wounds, and sheltering in his side.
0: Amen. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at EOCradio at gmail.com That's EOCradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684 Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior.